Welcome to the Southland Podcast, a resource produced by Southland Christian Ministries located in Ringgold, Louisiana. We trust that this podcast will encourage and equip you in your walk with God. going to get down on the level with you tonight, okay? So good to be with you all. Um, looking forward to this treat. I love having the opportunity to speak at men's retreats. Um, I'd love to do it more, um, but uh, I treasure each time and opportunity. So I trust that this will be uh, a few days of encouragement, refreshment, and God working in your hearts through his word. The only problem that I have with retreats is that there's about 50 messages that I would love to preach because I feel that each one is so poignant, and yet I only have so many limited opportunities. And, you know, so this is where I have to rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit and Him directing His Word no matter what I preach. Even if sometimes I'm not exactly sure if the message that I'm preaching is the one that I'm supposed to be preaching. There have been times in my ministry where I've gone up to the pulpit. I'm sure you've been in the same position, Brother Mike. And I've had three messages in my Bible that I have been stewing over all day. And I'm literally trying to find every reason to delay my getting to the pulpit so I can figure out that last second one that I'm supposed to preach. And I still don't have any clue as I get to the pulpit and I say, okay, Lord, here goes. You have to use your word. You know what? God's always true to his word. His word does not return void. It's not me that does anything or accomplishes anything. It's not going to be anything of me this, this time that we have over these next couple of days that's going to do anything, it's going to be God and his word working in your life and you being willing to do something about it, okay? As we look around the world, there's a lot of troubling things, right? Be very easy to just try to put our heads in the sand and not live with some of the reality of what's going on. There's many things that I'd love to address to you and we are going to address a couple things, but guys, I'm just going to say, I think more than ever, we need godly men. We are living in a day and an age that is attacking masculinity like never before. The male species is endangered, okay? And it's going to continue to happen that way. The sad thing is that there's a lot of Christian men that are like ducks, I love to hunt, and I love duck hunting. You know what happens when you shoot a good shot at a flying duck and you nail him? What does he do? He folds up, and it's beautiful. And I've got meat on the table. And you know what? Here's the thing. I'm going around the country. I'm dealing with people all you know on a regular basis, and here's the thing that I see among Christian men. Oh, the world's, the world's crashing. world's getting worse and worse. And they're just folding up like they've been shot, and they're crashing. And then we have the gall to wonder why people aren't getting saved, wonder why our churches are dying on the vine, why our ministries aren't doing actual ministry and outreach. 
Well, it's because we've got men that are folding faster than an Italian accordion. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) There's a lot of different things that I believe pertain to that. But you want to know something then? We're going to turn to a passage that I was not planning or prepared to speak on today. And in 20, I think I'm in my 24th year of ministry now. I don't think I've ever started a series of messages with this particular message. But for whatever reason, this afternoon, as I was finalizing my preparation, I already had the message that I felt I was supposed to preach. I was pretty convinced of that. And God put this message in my heart, and I just couldn't get away from it. And I don't know why, but I know this. I've come to trust God in his leading. So I believe that there's one man here that needs this message tonight. And if that's all that's needed, praise God. The rest of you just get to sit in for free. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings. There is a reason why I think so many men in our Christian realm are giving up. They are quitting on God. They are not serving in the local church. They are not leading their homes. They are not being faithful to their wives. They're not being the kind of godly fathers that they should be. And you know what you, that problem is? It, this might actually shock you. Discouragement. I was thinking about this today as God was changing my heart. And I talked to my wife today. She called me and so we were just, I was just telling her how things were going. And I said, you know, babe, I don't think that most people understand the discouragement that men go through because we have to hide it, right? We have to have the strong backs. We have to have the stiff upper lip. We've got to be tough, right? And yet, guys, I have seen many men, many godly men, many good men crumble under the weight of discouragement. It burdens my heart, and I trust that tonight's message will be of a blessing and a help to you because I want you to understand something tonight as we get into the word. Every single one of us is going to go through discouragement. Okay? We can't avoid it. We can't try to become a hermit in a cave. If you were a hermit in a cave, you'd get discouraged about that, right? Is, is getting discouraged to sin? No. No. So then wherein lies the problem? The problem is when we allow that discouragement to overwhelm us, defeat us, and keep us from living the life of joy and victory that God has designed for us to live. Okay? Now, let's refresh something about 1 Kings chapter 19. We know this passage probably pretty well, right? This is about Elijah the prophet, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived, right? What had just happened? Well, if you read the previous chapter or so, you'd find out that Ahab was reigning, wicked king, Jezebel, who I personally think was one of the most ugly women on earth. Notice how always, 
I shouldn't say always. That's so bad just to paint a broad stroke. But isn't it amazing when you watch these rank liberal women on TV and they're ugly, nasty? I, so that's what I think. She must have been rank, ugly, nasty. And so, I mean, that's just my supposition. I can't prove it. My wife's, oh, I'm sure she was beautiful. No, she's not. She was a hag. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Anyways, wicked couple, right? Turning Israel towards Baal worship, turning them against God. We know that at this time, uh, God had sent a drought, right? Rain had not fallen for about three, three and a half years. Baal worship is being pushed harder and harder and harder. Israel is encapsulated by it. And so Elijah finally says, hey, let's find out once and for all which God is the one true God. If Baal is God, then let's worship him. If Jehovah is God, then let's worship him. But there's no more, you know, going back and forth like this. We're going to determine this once and for all. They go up to Mount Carmel. He says, no trickery. You're going to build an altar. You're not going to put any fire underneath. Now, from what I have found out and studied, and maybe I'm not completely right, but from what I have been able to, to understand is that typically the prophets of Baal, when they would build an altar, they would build it with some kind of a channel or opening in the back of the altar that was hidden from view so that while the prophets of Baal were praying and asking Baal to send fire from heaven, a priest from behind would light through this channel or this opening and it would eventually ignite the sacrifice, right? And supposedly Baal had answered their prayers. By the way, isn't that true of all religions? Deceitfulness, cunning, trickery, okay? Elijah knew it. He said, no tricks. You build the altar, you put your sacrifice on there, you pray to Baal, you let him answer with fire from heaven. So we know what happened. They did, they did all day. They cried, they prayed, they cut themselves with knives to show their sincerity and all that, nothing. Elijah's taunting them. They finally fit, sit down on feet. He rebuilds the altar, digs you know, the trench around the altar, has 12 cruises of water poured over, prays his prayer of some 63 words, and God Jehovah answers and sends fire from heaven, consuming the sacrifice, the altar, the water. And what do the people respond with? The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. That was emphatic. Elijah then has a going away party and slaughters the 450 prophets of Baal. He then goes out on the mountain to pray. While he is praying, he sends out his servant to check and, the, and the, the servant goes out and checks the sky and comes back and says, there's a black cloud forming. He goes to, uh, Elijah goes to Ahab and says, you better get in your chariot and head for home. Guess what? My God, <laughs> the, the God who just sent fire. Yeah, that God who sent the drought is the same God who's gonna return rain to this land. He then proceeds to have a foot race with a horse-drawn chariot down Mount Carmel and outruns the chariot, empowered by God. That's what brings us to 1 Kings 19. What an amazing experience, right? What I mean, true, we know it's kind of cliche, but true mountaintop experience. And then we come to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now look at verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done with all he'd slain the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So here comes back, Elijah is threatened. When Elijah received this threat, you would have thought after all that just happened, right? God sending fire, consuming the sacrifice, the prophet slain, rain returned by God. 
God personally empowering him to outrun a horse-drawn chariot down a mountain. You would have thought that Elijah would have responded with this, bring it, right? You want to test my God again? Fine with me, round two, <laughs> right? All right, well, let's look and see how he responded. Verse three, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba which belongeth to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. What in the world just happened? I'll tell you what happened. Elijah got smacked right between the eyes with the two by four of discouragement. So, Elijah, as James says, a man of like passion as we are, right? He went through the ups and downs just as, as anyone will. And by the way, guys, don't think that just because Brother Mike's a camp director, don't think that just because I'm an evangelist, that all of our days are clear, sunshiny days and, and everything is wonderful and everybody loves us and nobody hates us and, and we just have the best of the... No, we are men who live with a conflicting nature that wages war against us in our hearts, against the Holy Spirit and the word each and every day. We deal with the attacks of Satan, the world, our own flesh, and we deal with discouraging things just like anybody else. So then, how do we deal with discouragement? I believe there's a lot of different things that we could look at tonight. We're gonna look at six principles from just this passage. And here is my hope for you tonight. If you are dealing with something discouraging, maybe it's a relationship with your wife. It's on the rocks. In fact, maybe it's ready to break. Maybe it's a child. Something's going on. Maybe something with their health. Maybe they are being rebellious towards you. I don't know. Maybe you've lost a job recently. And now you're in financial straits or someone in the family had some kind of medical incident. And now you are like tens and tens of thousands in, of dollars in debt. And you have no idea how this is going to work out. I don't, I don't know. Listen, no one said, has said anything to me. I don't know what you're dealing with. Okay. But maybe something's going on and maybe you are in the throes of discouragement right now. I trust that by God's grace that you will understand that these biblical principles can be used of God in your life as you would take them and seek to live by them to give you victory as God desires because God wants to use your life. God doesn't want you to fold up like a shot duck and just crash into the sea of life to be useless. By the way, that's what discouragement does when you allow it to have victory in your life. It literally makes you useless. So then let's look at some positive. And number one, don't do drastic things. Don't do drastic things. What do I mean? Well, I mean this. When Elijah received the threat, what did he do? He arose and he ran. Not only did he run, he ran to Beersheba and then he, he went with the servant, but he left his servant there and he ran into the wilderness. Okay, wilderness. You understand the word, right? Barren. Only bad things happen to exist in the wilderness typically, right? You know, snakes, scorpions, 
other animals that like to have you for lunch, right? So not a good place. And not only that, he went without any provisions. He didn't have any food. He didn't have any water, right? Don't you think that's drastic? Here's something that's left out, but I think is also a very interesting consideration. He never consulted with God. See that? Wow. Pretty drastic and pretty dangerous. Guys, I don't know about you. I can be very reactionary. Now, part of that is because as, as a young man, I'm going to, Lord willing, share more of my testimony with you tomorrow. Okay. But as a young man, I, I grew up and developed into a very angry, violent, vengeful young man. And part of living and being driven and fueled by anger is that you are extremely reactionary. Okay. So I can identify with him. He just reacted. He didn't stop. He didn't pray. He didn't consult with God. He just reacted. And you know what? That a lot of times is what men do when they get hit with discouragement and they do different drastic things. Sometimes men return to the life of immorality or pornography that they were once entrapped in because that's their escape room. Or maybe they return to drinking or drugs. I'm talking about Christian men, guys. They say, oh, well, oh, bless God, I would never do that. Shut up. Yes, you would. And yes, you can. Because any one of us, except by the grace of God, can do anything at any time. So don't say, oh, I'll never do that. Okay? So we're doing these things. Or maybe it's the drastic nature of you just shield yourself from everybody. You push off your wife, you push off your kids, you encapsulate yourself. Or maybe something that we might not consider as drastic, but I think are some of the most drastic things that we do when we get faced with discouragement. We stop reading God's word. We stop praying. We stop going to church. We stop living for God. That's drastic for a Christian. If you're not saved, that doesn't matter a hill of beans to you. But it's everything to the Christian. Because our lives have been changed by the grace of God. We now have a living hope. We have a new direction because of a new future and because of a new permanent established relationship with God. If you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you something first and foremost. When you get hit with discouragement, you have no other way out. You have to turn to what the world has because you don't have the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now that can change by the grace of God. And if tonight you need to receive Christ as your savior, would you please come and talk with me or with brother Mike or maybe some guy that you know here that's a believer? and accept the wonderful gift of salvation because apart from Jesus Christ, you have no hope for overcoming discouragement. You won't get out of it. And even when you do, it won't be long-lasting. Don't do drastic things. It can destroy you. It can damage you. It can render you useless. Number two, notice the next principle that we find in verse five. 
And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, and said unto him, Arise and eat. Here's the second principle: refresh yourself. I know a lot of guys that when they deal with something that's overwhelming, when they are hit with something that's very discouraging, you know what they do? They drive themselves. What do I mean by that? I mean, they start working extra, extra long hours. They go without food so that they can turn their attention to something else. They only sleep two or three hours a night. And they go, go, go. Why do they go? Why do we do that? Because we don't want to have to deal with reality. Right? This principle that we find here is not talking about a spiritual refreshment. It's talking about a physical refreshment, gentlemen. Let me tell you why. Because there is a direct correlation between our physical and spiritual well-being. Why? Because when God created man, God breathed into man the breath of life. And man became a living soul, according to the scripture. As a Christian, I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, there is an importance to discipline my body, take care of my body, and refresh or restore my body in appropriate ways. Now, let me tell you something, guys. I love junk food, okay? There's something called, you've probably never heard of it, but there's something called the liquid manna of heaven, otherwise known as Mountain Dew, all right? It will be in heaven. I'm sure of it, okay? Okay? I love candy of all types. Uh, Amy Bell, she got my room, I guess, all organized, and she put in Swedish fish and Sour Patch Kids and Mountain Dew and oatmeal pies. And yeah, my son is with me, but I'm hogging it all, so he doesn't get any, okay? I, I love I love junk food. I do. I really do. And uh, I try to work out a lot so that I can afford to eat <laughs> junk food. But you know what? I can't have a steady diet of it. You know Why? There's no protein to that. There's not the right kind of carbs. There's not the right kind of of good health, uh, good fat content that I need for my body to be able to stain me as I go about doing different things throughout the days and weeks and months and years as God so gives grace. So what do I have to do? I have to make sure that I take care of my body properly. How do I take care of my body properly? Well, I eat. Let me tell you something. My brother Brent nearly died. He was a youth pastor when this happened in Indiana. At the time, he was single, working as a youth pastor. And he was working typically an average of somewhere around 70, 80 plus hours a week and eating maybe one meal a day. And it wasn't typically a good meal. You know what happened? He crashed, literally. His blood sugar crashed. He developed something called hypoglycemia. His blood level Blood sugar level dropped to four, zero. The doctors told him, we don't know why you are still living. You should be dead. My brother's life was totally turned upside down because he didn't take care of his body. 
You realize even today, if he can't keep on a schedule of regular eating, he can begin to feel the effects. And that was over 20 something years ago, 20, it was over 25 years ago, I believe that that happened. Okay. Guys, take care of your physical body. When you are going through discouraging things, you know what? Don't stop eating. Get some good food in you. Slow down and sleep. Your body needs rest. I don't know about you, but I have come home and I have dealt with, I've been in some kind of battle, some kind of conflict. Something's hit me with discouragement. And you know what? I've gone to bed. I've gotten a full night's rest. And when I woke up the next morning, you know what? The whole realm of life was different, right? Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? Why? Because your body had rest. God uses that. Take care of the temple of the Holy Ghost. That includes the physical part of you, your body. Because if you don't take time to refresh yourself, guess what's going to happen? You will continue to struggle with discouragement. That's the second principle. Number three, look at verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of Israel, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Here's the next principle, and it's a negative principle. Here it is. I'm going to say this as kindly as I can. Don't worry. I won't be kind too often this week. Get your eyes off yourself. Okay? Notice what he says there. I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life. Have you ever had the, oh, woe is me attitude? Oh, woe is me. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to eat worms and die. You know, the old song, nobody knows the trouble. Listen, if you guys have one ounce of honesty in your bones, you will admit that you have said that, thought that, in some way portrayed that, right? Okay. It's so easy for us when we are hit with these things. By the way, please don't misunderstand me here tonight. I'm not making light of your situation. I'm not making light of the circumstances. I'm not making light of the thing or the person that is bringing about the great discouragement that you may be dealing with right now or that you may deal with in the future or what you have dealt with in the past. I'm not making light of that. So hear me correctly on that, right? But I'm saying it's very easy when we go through these tough times for us to very naturally to go to, right? Suddenly, people cease to exist around us. Suddenly, nothing else matters. Suddenly, my world is crashing in. Now, everything else revolves around me. Right? And we wallow in self pity and gloom and despair, maybe even depression. Okay, these are very powerful things, guys. But that's the reality. We have to get our eyes off of ourselves. Isn't that hard? I mean, I, I remember. Uh, Mike, I got home one time. We, we, we drove, I don't know how many hours straight. Had three young boys screaming their banshee heads off, 
right? Because they've been in the truck all day. You know, you think evangelist kids are these wonderful, perfect models of, you know, holiness. Okay. They are kids. All right. Missionary kids are the worst, by the way. Oh, just for free. We pull in. It's, it's dark. It's raining. The boys are screaming. My, my nerves are frayed to the very end, right? You know, I tell Debbie, we got to the house. And I said, Debbie, get the boys in the house. I will back up the rig myself. So we had a small home. Whoever poured our driveway thought that they were some kind of an artiste. You know what I'm saying? And it had this really weird shape to it. So I'm backing in the dark. I'm backing in my rig, right? Into this long driveway and it's curved funny and all that. And so I'm trying to get it situated. I'm trying to make sure that the wheels are on the concrete and all that. And I get out and I check and everything's fine. Like, okay, I just need to resituate just a little bit. And I go and suddenly the whole rig lurches. Like, well, what happened? Put it in park, get out. I go back and I look. I'd run into my gutters and one of those reams had gone right through the back of my trailer. I had a huge dent. I mean, it was like a good two foot, you know, and I mean, it was probably four or five inches deep. I go into the trailer. It happened to be the back wall and on the back wall happened to be our cabinetry. It was all broke off and hanging. Can I tell you something? I was not in the joy of the Lord at that very moment. I was hitting things. I was shouting. I was so mad. I was so, I'm serious. I'm just being honest, guys. All right. I'm just, I'm just being true blue here. I'm like, why, God? I just came off a revival meeting. I get, you know, it's just, it is all about Scott Savinsky. We've all been there. All right. And yet we have to understand this. If we are going to properly, biblically deal with discouragement, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves. The world cannot revolve around us. I cannot wallow in that self-pity. So how then do I do that? Look at the next principle. Look at verse 11. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and breaking pieces of the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah, get this, heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. Here's the next principle to overcoming discouragement. Listen to God. Listen to God. How do we listen to God? At this time, God spoke directly to Elijah as his prophet. God does not speak audibly to us today. Why? He doesn't have to. Why? Because he gave us the completed word of God. Far better than what Elijah had. You said, well, he got to talk to God. Yes, he didn't have the whole word of God. We have the whole, listen, everything that God wanted you to know, he gave us, right? Preserved, inerrant, right? So how do we listen to God? Well, when we get discouraged, one of the hardest things that we have to do is to sometimes force ourselves to go 
and turn into God's word. Or maybe we have to force ourselves to stop what we're doing and to stop the drastic action that we're about to take and meditate on scripture. Or maybe it means doing something else like going to church instead of burying myself in my room with Milky Ways and Mountain Dew. And I go to church and I listen to the teaching and preaching of God's word. That's how we listen to God. That's what we need. Right? God renews our minds. God refreshes us. God builds us up. God refines us. God confronts us. God delivers us. All these things and more God does through his word. And we have to get our eyes upon him. We do that through his word and through the listening. So we must listen to God. Don't tune God out when you get discouraged. Notice the next principle. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And we'll stop right there. Here's the next principle. Maybe not clear at first, but I hope it makes sense to you. The next principle is simply this. Do what God wants you to do. God has not called you as a Christian to allow discouragement to put you on the sidelines of life and sit the bench as you watch eternity pass on. God wants you engaged. God wants you serving. Let me tell you something. There's not enough Christian men serving God. We have churches dying on the vine because we don't have men who have the spiritual intestinal fortitude and backbone to serve God faithfully and consistently. So guess who does it? The women. Say, what are you talking about? Come and travel with me for a year. I'll show you what I mean. So many churches that I am at, yes, there's some men that will serve, but usually the majority of the people involved in the church are the women. Shame on us. Men are supposed to be the spiritual leadership and guidance. We are supposed to be an example. And yet we're not. And then we get hit with discouragement. We allow that it is, well, well, man, this is, you know what? God's going to allow this to happen in my life. Why should I live for him? Why should I serve him? I got criticized because I hit one wrong note. And bless God, if people are going to criticize how I play the trumpet, I do play the, well, I haven't played the trumpet for a while, but Brother Mike and I, we actually played in trumpet choir back at, uh, in college. Okay. You know, well, if that's how people are going to treat me, you know what? I'm just going to bend this trumpet in half and I'll just forget about serving God that way ever again. And you say, oh, come on. That's a, you're being a little bit dramatic there, brother. Oh, yeah? Let me take you to some people where some of those actual things have happened, where people have literally walked out of serving God because they got discouraged because of life. To never return 
to an active state of servitude to God. I know of those people. I've met them. I know of them. I've seen it. I've dealt with it. I know the stories, folks. Do what God wants you to do. God was telling Elijah, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. Yes, you've gone through a hard time. I'm not finished. You're not completing what I've set out before you. I love this verse. It's a magnificent verse. I should probably preach another message right here, but I won't, okay? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know what the magnificence about that verse is this. God has specifically created us for specific services. God has not saved you to generalities. God has saved you to specific specific opportunities that you, get this, that you alone will have the opportunity to do. I won't have the same exact opportunities as you. You won't have the same exact opportunities as me. And on and on it goes. So you know what that means? It means that each one of us are being fashioned and developed by God so that we can perform specific deeds and undertakings and services. And when we serve God for the glory of God, with an eternal perspective, you know what that does? That overcomes discouragement. That brings joy and victory. Not because always service is always fun and always convenient and always delightful and always praised and noticed, but because of whom you are doing it for. Because remember, Colossians 3.23, what does it say? Whatsoever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord and not unto men. So when you're serving the Lord, even during the midst of discouraging times, God will give victory. God will bring joy because your life's being lived for God in the way that he wants. Do what God wants you to do. Notice the final principle. Look at verse 18, if you would. God says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Here's the last principle. It's a long one. So I'm sorry. I wasn't very creative, but here it is. I'll say it a couple of times. Remember that there are others that are seeking to be faithful in their commitment to God. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you can't get it all down, see me afterwards. If you're taking notes, I'll be glad to share it with you. Remember that there are others that are seeking to be faithful in their commitment to God. One of the joys of evangelism that I benefit from is getting to meet all kinds of people, not just pastors, not just pastoral staff, but the people that comprise the church. And I get to see people who struggle with life just like I do. And yet, you know what? They're trying to be faithful. They're trying to stay committed to God. They're seeking, they're seeking to do what is right. They're fighting the good fight of faith. You know what that does to me? It rejuvenates me. It encourages me. It inspires me. It helps me. Hey, I'm not the only one. Man, is that awesome. My, there have been some deep, deep, dark times in my ministry. 
where, I mean, things were caving in all around me. And I tell you what, God brought specific people to my mind or somehow I, I called someone and talked and just the interaction or I went to church. By the way, another reason why you should be in church, especially when you're going through discouraging times. Why? Because when you're in church, guess what you're going to realize? There's others that are trying to be faithful to God. They're not perfect, but they're trying. God uses that to fortify. God uses that to, to edify. God uses that to complete. God uses that to enable you to overcome. So remember that. He says, listen, Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm with you. And not only am I with you, I've got others that are right where you are. They're going to stay true. They're going to serve. They're going to fight. They're going to live for me. They're going to struggle, yes, but they are going to continue to strive for the cause of the glory of God. And I tell you what, that is an amazing fuel, if you will, to enable us to overcome discouragement. Guys, six very simple principles. Don't do drastic things. Refresh yourself. Get your eyes off yourself. Listen to God. Do what God wants you to do. And remember that there are others that are seeking to be faithful in their commitment to God. Guys, this is not some magical potion that hoof poof and suddenly everything changes. But I tell you this, God in his word gives us that which works because it's the living word of God. And therefore it is profitable. It has great potential and usefulness and benefit. But you know the thing is, all that power, all that potential, all that benefit is useless if we don't utilize it for ourselves. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. It is our prayer that you would know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you have never experienced salvation through Christ alone, would you please reach out to us? You can contact us through our website at www.southlandcamp.org or call our camp office at 318-894-9154. See you next time on the Southland Podcast.